Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to another wonderful Sunday here at FCC. Could you please stand and worship along with us? Fifteen seven says, I tell you in the same way, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need repentance. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful that we have the opportunity to come together here this morning. And Father, I'm thankful that we understand the need for repentance in our life. And we're thankful that we can have salvation through Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. We're here to worship the Lord together. Amen. We're glad you've chosen to do that with us this morning. Please make sure you fill out your connection card as you have opportunity, and you can also do that online. For those who are watching online, there's a number at the bottom of the screen that you can do that. Well, at this time, the praise team's going to continue to lead us in song together. Let's continue to sing together. Please be seated. Right morning. 
Hello. Start that one again, please. kind of hard not to sway on that one some churches would condemn you to hell for doing that too you can't sway in church Jesus never swayed <laughs> here's a real dumb question of the week have you ever lost something I mean, something you needed, something, something you valued. Well, obviously, you're not alone. There was a study done in, I think, 2017. It said, according to this study, Americans spend an average of 2.5 days a year looking for misplaced items. The most misplaced items are TV remotes at 45%, phones 33%, Car keys, 28%. Glasses, 27%. Shoes, 24%. Wallets and purses, 20%. Unfortunately, not all these items are found, costing a whopping $2.7 billion to replace each year. Isn't that crazy? And I'm thinking only two and a half days a year? Really? You haven't been to my house. <laughs> you ever lost a pet? What runs through your mind when that pet gets out? I mean, when you love that pet, you hurt for that lost pet. You pray that it'll come back. You pray that it's safe. I mean, I see missing pet posts all the time on Facebook. Uh, by the way, for you cat owners, the one way not to lose your pet is keep it in the house. Just a thought. But anyway, when you lose that pet, why do you look so hard? Why do you even care? Because there are plenty of other dogs and cats out there. We've got a ton of them at the shelter right now. Well, we know why we do. We know why we don't say, well, Fluffy ran off. Let's go to the shelter and get another one. It's because we love and we care for them. And it hurts us to see them gone. Now, Jesus is going to continue with his parables. This is the second of three. To answer the charge as to why he's eating with the sinners and the tax collectors. Also in this parable of the lost coin, it reminds us of something. That God cares when we're lost. Because, yeah, there's billions of people, and there's been throughout history, but there's only one you, just like there's only one Fluffy, you know? When that cat's on, gone or that dog's gone, 
Yeah, you can get another one, but it's not the same. Just like the woman in the story, God searches for us when we're lost. And when we're found, he celebrates with joy. It's easy to feel disconnected at God at times, isn't it? We get into a stage of life where sometimes, just like the lost sheep, we can drift away. Or just like in the story today, we can be, we can be in such a place that nobody else sees where we are, and we can end up becoming lost. And this is why the church is so important. We need to be there for one another. So when we see that hurt and that pain, we don't have people that are sitting back just feeling like, I'm all alone. Nobody cares. When we feel disconnected, whether it's from God or somebody even in our family or whatever, it's not a good feeling. Imagine how the God who created you and loves you feels when you're lost. You may know that feeling if you've ever lost a, a family member that's left and you can't find them, or more than likely for a lot of us, it's been a pet. Today, we're going to look at the parable of the lost coin together, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, verses 8 through 10, and we're going to begin with verse 8. And so it tells us this. Or what woman, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search thoroughly until she finds it. So what we begin with here is a time to panic. <laughs> when we lose something that's important, it causes a sense of panic, particularly if it's a stupid car keys. Now, one thing that I've done with my office keys and my shelter keys is I've got an Apple tracker on it, so if I ever misplace them, I can beep that sucker, and I haven't lost them since. But you're, it, inevitably, it happens when you're trying to get out the door, and you can't find your keys, you can't find your wallet. And if you're like me, I got a place where I, it's an EDC place, my everyday carry stuff. So I try to put things there, but inevitably sometime I might forget. Or actually, I think she's not here so I can say, I think my wife's moving stuff on me just to make me, I, I, I think she's doing it to me. Um, actually, one, one thing I lost, I think my cat got a hold of it and I can't find out where she put it. But, but uh, there's a sense of panic and a sense of despair because you, you got places to go, people to see, and you can't get your keys. Well, Years ago, and many of you remember those days, remember you, when you used to work somewhere, they used to actually hand you a paycheck, you know? And when I worked at Square D Company, that's what they did. That was before all the electronic stuff that you could do. And so what we would do on Friday night when we got that paycheck is a lot of us would go to Gerbs. It was the local grocery store during our lunchtime in the evening, about 7 o'clock at night. We would go cash our checks. That was really stupid when I think about it because you're packing that cash around, but we did. Well, on one occasion, I did that and I lost my wallet. <clears throat> and the sad thing is my whole week's salary was in that wallet in cash. I was freaking out. I was, had a sense of urgency. I about lost my mind. Where in the world could this be? And um, so for some reason, I said, let me go check the bathroom. And sure enough, the wallet had fallen out of my back pocket. Surprisingly, nobody else had found it because if they did, it would have been empty. And I got everything back. The woman in this parable loses one of her 10 coins. And in, in the woman in this, women in this region, a lot of times they would receive this as a wedding gift. It would be a necklace or a, head, a headpiece that had 10 coins on it. And it was very sentimental. It was almost like a wedding ring. Or that may not be what has happened here. Uh, the coin that she had was equal to about a day's wage for the common laborer that day. Or if you break it into what it would be worth today, about 17 and a half cents is what the value was back then, I should say. And so there was a value to this. And imagine if you lost your salary, your paycheck, how much of a panic that would be. I know that feeling because I did it once. Um, or imagine you've lost your wedding ring and the panic that would come in with that because uh, particularly you ladies, for some reason the ladies get a lot more expensive ring than the guys get. I've never quite figured that out. But anyway, I told Rob when we got married, I want something with some diamonds in it. So I got little bitty diamonds in it, but I got my, I got my diamonds. Anyway, um, the, by the fact that this woman is so in a panic over this, we know that it was valuable to her. It wasn't just, like, for instance, if you lost a penny, I mean, I'd look for it, but many of us, okay, it's a penny. There's some things that we can't find. We're like, okay, it's not that big of a deal. I'll just go get another one. But there are other things that are very sentimental, very important to us that we would search high and low to find. 
And I've had a few of those items. I had a bracelet that my men's ministry, uh, my men's covenant group gave me. And it wasn't an expensive one, probably 10, 15 bucks. And I was wearing it all the time. And I always had a place that I took it off and set it down, I guess, until I didn't. That's the one I think the cat got a hold of. But anyway, I can't find it anywhere. And I tore my house apart looking for it. And Robin had something that she lost and just recently found it, by the way. It was in a place she's like, I never put it there. I'm like, well, I guess you did that time. But uh, she goes, I didn't do it. But anyway, um, this woman, this coin was either sentimentally valuable to her or it was life-sustaining for her. And so she loses it and she just goes crazy trying to find it. Once the panic subsides, when you lose something of value, what's the next logical step? Well, it's the search. And this is what she does. And like I said, I can't tell you how many times I've misplaced things. And my wife would always say, well, if you put it in the same place all the time. So like with her thing, I said, well, if you put it in the same... I shut up after that. (laughs) Um, And it's a good idea to have that, by the way. I got a place where I put my keys and everything. But for instance, my bracelet, it had sentimental value to me. It was meant, meant to help us remind each other to pray for each other in our covenant group. And I've been, I'm still sad over the fact I can't find it. I've searched and searched, but it's now nowhere to be found. Now, it, the one piece of good news is it will be in the last place I look. But anyway, that makes sense if you don't think about it. Um, the item had value to me. And even to this day, I think, did I look here? Did I look here? Did I, and I'll move a dresser or something, thinking, did I miss a spot that I didn't check? Once this woman realizes her coin was lost, what does she do? She lights a candle. She sweeps her house, sweeps the floor, and a lot of those floors, imagine sweeping a dirt floor, but she's sweeping the floors in search of this coin because it meant something to her. Even though the woman had nine other coins, she didn't say, well, I got nine, just like the 99 sheep. Well, I got 99. One being gone's not a big deal. <clears throat> When you see people in your life, what effort, what burden do you have for them? What kind of effort are you willing to expend to help try to bring them to Jesus? What are you willing to do to try to help? Because you can't make somebody come to Jesus, okay? But you can, you can encourage them. You can show them like we talked about last week. What are you willing to do for those folks that you know that you care for that are lost? Are you just like, well, you know what? God has a lot of people in heaven he won't miss this one. See, the parable of the lost sheep represented a scene in the country, and it had to do with sheep, and this parable was interesting to the men. But this scene in the, in the parable we're looking at today takes place in a house, and the women in the house would usually keep a small treasury, or they'd have sentimental issues, so this parable would have interested the women in the audience in particular. A woman had lost one of her ten pieces, and she was, she was sad. She had a sense of panic. She was tearing everything up to get to it. Do we have that kind of a sense of urgency for the people in our life that are lost? Do we even think about it? See, this woman lost something that meant something to her, and I think that's the key. It meant something to her. And so who in your life means something to you that you're burdened for? Who is that lost coin that you are diligently trying to find? and try to bring back to Christ. The thing about it is when this woman lost the coin, sweeping that dirt floor house, lighting that candle, looking around, it took effort. She didn't just sit in the chair and say, well, you know, the thing's going to just appear. It's going to show up in my hand with me doing nothing. It takes a lot of work. And reaching lost people, folks, is not easy, particularly, well, I say particularly in this society, you know, it's really never been easy. It's really never been easy. I know people talk, well, back in the 50s, yeah, I think if you look at it, you had more morality as a, gen- as a general rule, but we'll talk about this near the end of the message. That doesn't always mean something. But the fact of the matter is, who are you praying for? Who are you putting forth effort to bring them to Jesus? Who is it that means something to you? Who are you burdened for? For this woman, this coin meant the world to her. And so she put out all, she went all out trying to get it. And what one of the things is, what we need to understand is those people that we have a burden for, when we don't put that effort, when we don't put that prayer, when we don't have that burden for them, you know what's going to happen if they die without Christ? We can go to their funeral and say, oh, you know, they're in a better place, but that's a lie. That's a lie. Because they're not. They're dead. 
their soul is not going to be with the Lord. And that's not what we want for them. We delude ourselves a lot by saying, well, they're in a better place when we know they're not. We have to stop that delusion. I'm not suggesting we go, hey, they're going to hell. You know, look at that. They're, they're going to burn. It's going to be horrible. But, but the thing is, you know, I've done funerals for people who are not Christians. And I don't sit there and say, well, oh, Jim here, he, he's a nice guy, but he's, he, he's, he's uh, feeling those flames right now, just so you know. Uh, it, does, it does no good at that point. But we also don't try to paint a rosy picture of what's not real. That's the big problem in our society today. People are trying to paint pictures and trying to make everybody else tell you, agree with what the picture is. This is why we have such a mess. When churches die, you know why they die? You know why they die? Jesus doesn't kill them. The churches kill themselves because they lose their passion for reaching lost people. And when you lose that passion, what ends up happening is we start getting, we lose our sense of mission because we're so comfortable with who we're with, what we do, what we hear, that we forget why we're here. We are here to grow in Christ, but we're also here to encourage one another to go out into the world and reach lost people. And when you lose that passion, it's a problem. Because what happens eventually, I mean, I can, since I've been here since 2007, I can't tell how many people have died in this church. Just physically, their, their life's ended. Well, what happens eventually? And I've been around churches that once were thriving, even some of them in thousands of people. But they get to a point where we're comfortable, we really like the way things are, and they forget part of the reason they're here is not just for themselves. We have to have a passion for those who are lost. We've got to be willing to do what it takes to try to try to reach them. At First Christian Church, our mission is to be changing lives by connecting people with Christ. And that's what we're called to do. And so whatever it takes within, you know, within biblical bounds to do that, we need to be able to do that. And by the way, that connection doesn't end at the baptistry. So part of that mission is connecting people, and that other, the other part of that mission is helping them to grow. Because once they get the baptistry, our work begins. It doesn't end there but we also need to get them there. New life begins when we're baptized into Christ. That's what scripture teaches. Just like the woman, we may experience moments of panic, moments of fear when we feel lost and disconnected from God. This woman is in a panic because she's lost something. Who are you in a panic for? Because you know they're lost. Let's look at verse nine. Verse nine says, She's done the search, she lost it, she's found it, and so it says, when she found it, she calls together all of her friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. And so that brings us to our next observation, that is it, there's a time to celebrate. Just like in the parable of the lost sheep, once the coin was found, the woman calls all of her friends together for a celebration. The joy of finding is so abundant that it can't be contained. One person alone cannot adequately celebrate it. There's got to be a party with a lot of other people. Jesus, in this parable, is looking at these religious leaders and saying, you should be part of this party. You should be part of this joy when that coin is found, when that sheep, comes, when that sheep is found. But you're not. You're nitpicking, and you're finding reasons not to have joy. And so when, we, when something is found, there should be a celebration. When we're bringing people to Christ, one of the things I love about our baptisms on Sunday is the sense of joy you feel in this auditorium because we know that somebody now's life is going to be changed forever for the good, for eternity, and that's a great thing. See, Christians, as Christians, one of the things we have to guard against is we have to be able to have relationships, friendships, connections with people outside the church. Our friend base can't just be people in the church because we're not impacting anybody at that point. And many times when we get to that point, that's when we start getting kind of ingrown and we start doing everything. Well, I like this, I want this, I want that. And when you try to bring in new things, that's one of the things I loved when I came here. I was able to bring some ideas in and people said, okay, let's do it. And I really appreciated that because it's, it benefits the church. And sometime, someday when my time's up, the same thing's going to happen. Somebody's going to come in behind me, and they're going to look, and they're going to say, hey, we need to make some changes. And I pray that the leadership at that time and the church and everybody says, you know what? Yeah, you're right. We need to. We need to make some adjustments. When we withdraw from the multitudes, 
we do this sometimes because we fear that our, our testimony will be compromised. But if we withdraw from the multitudes, we'll have no testimony. So we have to understand when we are with people who don't know Jesus, we have to understand what our mission is. Our mission is to befriend them, but it's also to show them Jesus. It's also to tell them about Jesus. It's also to encourage them with Jesus. It's not to grab them by the scruff of their neck and start jamming the Bible in their mouth, but it's simply about once you start showing people that you care, they'll care what you have to say. But until then, they don't. By the way, that's why the door-to-door stuff just doesn't work anymore, and it hasn't for decades, because our society's to the point where they don't want to hear your message. They really don't. They want to see your message. Then they'll listen to you. The old days of knocking on the door and saying, I'm going to tell you about Jesus, even then they weren't that successful. But today, when you guys were younger and when I was younger, did you get excited when somebody knocked on your door? Did you, oh, wow, somebody's here. I know I did. But now when you see somebody coming up on the ring camera, okay, everybody hide. Get the gun just in case, you know. Those Girl Scouts are selling that crack. We don't want them coming to our door. You know, those cookies, man, holy cow. But the thing is, that same, we don't have that same, and just imagine if you don't want somebody knocking at your door, imagine somebody who you don't know, who doesn't know you, feels when you go knock, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. We all know one of the local organizations here knocks on people's doors, the dudes on the bikes, and nobody likes it. We don't like it. To capture the lost, evangelism requires time, energy, and passion, just like the shepherd's search and just like the woman's search. Unfortunately, sometimes some searches take years, but the Lord calls us to get out among the people and build relationships that will help us draw people to God. See, the Pharisees, everybody kind of wanted to be like them. I don't think everybody understood what was inside them, or they probably wouldn't have. But just imagine somebody that you look up to comes in and invests time in you. You know, when I was a kid, man, uh, by the way, you know, baseball games today, you know, it's a, if you catch a foul ball, you're supposed to give it to a kid. Get your own. I had to fight adults for my baseballs that I never could get. But anyway, if I had a baseball player come up to me when I was young and say, hey, Jeff, I'm going to be your friend of Nolan Ryan or somebody, you know, want to be my pen pal and communicate, man, that would have, I'd have jumped off a building for that dude. Well, just imagine if the Pharisees who people did look up to said, you know what? Hey, you sinners and tax collectors, <laughs> we're going to eat with you. We're going to show you the ways of God. Imagine how much better that society would have been. Imagine how much better our society will be if, if Christians will be the salt and the light. We, if we stay in that salt shaker, we're not going to make a difference. But some searches take years. I've known people that have been praying for somebody for years. My, 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 my mother and father-in-law, we prayed for them for years. And finally, a few years before they passed, I got the opportunity to baptize them both into Christ. And it was amazing. My wife was praying for her brother, and he, his life changed. He gave his life to Christ, and he's a new creature. It, a, lot, a lot of it thanks to his wife being a Christian. But that's how it works. Some searches take, for you, take years. We can't give up. Part of the reason that we should always celebrate is one who is lost is now found. And there was a lot of effort gone, that went into that. Now, if this woman would have lost her coin, oh, there it is, and picked it up, put it right back in a minute, there probably wouldn't have been such a celebration. Okay, I just dropped it. But she lost it. And interestingly enough, this woman, who is most likely, we don't know for sure, but most likely very poor, what did she do? She called her friends for a celebration. And she could have very well spent more on the celebration than the coin was worth. But see, that shows you, from an economic standpoint, what this woman did didn't make sense. But the parable's not about economics. And reaching people isn't about economics. You know, just a side note, at the shelter that I volunteer at, we're a no-kill shelter. So we have spent thousands of dollars on some of the animals that every other shelter, most of them, other than no-kills, would put down. And we've, I, I know we had one cat, we spent like five grand on this cat. But you know what? Economically, it was stupid because, you know, we adopted it for $65. We make nothing on it. We're not the, but the cat to us was, is valuable. Those animals that come to us are so valuable. We don't care about the economics. Now, we have to stay in business, and we're trying to figure out ways to do that better. But economically, it would have made sense just to euthanize that animal because people will take animals to a, to, the, to a place to get euthanized just because they're tired of them. 
They, and I'll tell you some stories, folks. It breaks my heart. But the fact is, the economics of what it takes to bring somebody to Christ, we, that's not a problem. I realize we have to keep the doors open, but we should never say, well, gosh, that program costs us this, and we only had three people come to Jesus through. Okay, maybe it wasn't efficient, but three did, and now we need to figure out a better way to do it. But it's about God's grace, not economics. And maybe it's the follies of God, folly of God's grace that says, you know what, you're going to go put a lot of energy into seeking those who are lost. But once they're found, we celebrate it. The joy of God has no price tag because it just doesn't. This parable teaches us something we may not consider also, the importance of community. When this woman finds the coin, what does she do? She calls her community to celebrate with her. When the coin, when we, when we have somebody who's starting to drift off or somebody who we, that, that may become lost, we have to be careful to make sure that we care as a community and try to reach out to them. When they're sick, to be with them. We have to have that sense of community. The woman found that lost coin and she called them all together. And when we see somebody give their life to Christ, and particularly if it's somebody you've been praying for for a long time, man, that should be a, a great celebration. We need the encouragement. We need the support of one another. So that we, and then we, then we celebrate together. Let us not forget the joy that that person will feel when they're in the loving arms of God. That joy, and if, for those of you who have been baptized in Christ, I, feel, I, I pray you felt that joy of knowing your sins are forgiven. Knowing that whatever was dogging you in your life that God says, forget it, it's over, I've taken it. When we felt that disconnection from God, remember the joy we had when that connection was made. And so when we see someone come forward instead of saying, oh man, a baptism today, the roast is going to burn or the steak's going to burn or I got something on the smoker, we're like, hallelujah, man, let's celebrate. Let's look at verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is more joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. So that leads us to our, our final observation, that is a time for joy. Now, we talked about the time for celebration, but here's this time for joy because this parable reminds us that God searches for us relentlessly even when we don't realize it. And he rejoices, just like in the parable of the lost sheep, the angels of heaven rejoice. No matter how lost or how insignificant we may, be, may, we may feel, we are valuable to God. He doesn't give up. There's only one you. Yeah, there's billions of people, but one you. And that one you, God cares about. He didn't just create everybody and say, okay, I'm going to walk away from the universe like a deist thinks and just let it wind down. He cares about you. And he's relentlessly pursuing you. He pursued me. And he wants you to be, not to be lost. In the parable, the woman did not give up until she found the coin. She did not give up. Similarly, God does not give up on you because he's pursuing you. He searches for you relentlessly, even when you don't think about it. And when you are found, he rejoices with us. The angels of heaven rejoice. Now, I want to cons uh, this same thing came up last week, and I didn't hit on it very hard because I knew these parables are very similar. But I want us to consider something in verse 10. And it is something that I believe is a key with our walk with Jesus. We talk a lot about faith and baptism, which we should, but I think there's one aspect that sometimes we don't, that we forget that's so important. In both of the parables, you see the issue of repentance being mentioned. And it's prominent in the celebration and the heavenly joy. Repentance is a crucial issue for somebody who's going to give their life to Jesus. Because repentance, what it is, it's a change of self, a change of heart, a change of mind that abandons the former dispositions and results in a new life, new behavior, and regret over the former behavior and former dispositions of life. Coming to Jesus is more than just confessing him. It's more than just saying, I have faith in him. It's more than being baptized into him. It is a desire and an understanding that says, you know what, I need to change. I have been sinning against God no matter how good of a life I was living. I have sinned against God. And by the way, King David, we, we've been talking about, we talked about him in our Bible study this last week. David, when he did what he did with Bathsheba, when he sent her husband out to die, you know, he knew that was wrong. He knew it was wrong. 
but his desire overmastered him. But yet God said, here's a man who committed adultery, who had people killed, who did a lot of things wrong, but yet God says, here's a man after my own heart. And I've always been perplexed by that. But I realized that one of the biggest differences between David and other people that do the same thing, it's this issue of repentance. David wanted to change. David didn't just make excuses and say, with Bathsheba, well, if you didn't make her so stinking hot, I wouldn't have looked at her. You know, if she went 400 pounds, it would have been a little different story. But man, she's pretty. I couldn't help it. He took full responsibility. And you know what's really neat about David and Bathsheba? David and Bathsheba were punished. They lost the son over it. But guess who became king of Israel later on? Solomon, their child. And I always found that intriguing. It's like, why would God bless them at all based on the way they started? It's because of God's grace. And he knew David's heart was a heart of repentance, that when he messed up, he knew it. And too many times in life, what we do is we, ha- we make mistakes, we-, we hurt other people, and all we want to do is blame them. All we want to do is blame someone else. All we want to do is blame something else and then sing, oh, I, how, how I love Jesus. See, repentance is important. It's something we emphasize faith and baptism as we should, but sometimes we really need to emphasize repentance because repentance is that desire to change. When you step into the baptistry, why? See, when I was dating my wife, I was not a Christian. She had, was a new Christian. And later on, she told me, if you'd never become a Christian, I wouldn't have married you. Well, I'm thankful she didn't tell me that because I'd have jumped right in that baptistry day one because on first date, I wanted to marry her. You know, I'm like, you are who I want to be with. I love you, and I'm going to be with you till I die. And if you won't be with me, I will stalk you. And, you know, it'll, <laughs> you know you'll, I'll always be there. I might be in jail. But anyway... I'm glad she didn't tell me that because, yeah, I'd have gotten the baptistry. I would have said, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I wouldn't have had any desire of repentance because my heart's not right. And when you're ready to come to Christ, when your heart is right, you'll want to repent. If you're in a marriage, you know, been in marriage situations where times are tough, which a lot of people hit rocky roads, there's no shame in that, it happens. But the key to making it work is instead of looking at the other person, even if they're 80% culpable and wanting to blame them, the key to it is saying, you know what? I am sorry for what I've done. I am sorry for what I've done. And no buts to that. I want to change my heart. I want to change my attitude. And if you both do that, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have a great relationship no matter how rocky it was. It will be great. Because each of you have a heart that says, you know what, I need to change. Too many people want to blame everybody else for their personal issues. And the person that's been married multiple times, you know, I hate to say this, but you're the problem. You're the issue. They aren't. Because you're bringing the same junk with you all the time and you're not willing to change. And you just hope that another partner will fix it. It won't. It'll manifest itself again. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this. For sadness, as intended by God, produces repentance that leads to salvation, leaving no regret. But worldly sadness brings about death. And so what we're told here is, this basically, if you want to break it down, are you sorry what you did or are you sorry you got caught? That's a good way to put this passage. If you're sorry you got caught, you're never going to change. You're never going to be different. You're never going to repent. You're never going to grow. Even if you're going to get into the baptistry. But if you're sorry that you've sinned against God, look, if I, if I were abusive to my wife, I'm, abu- I'm, I'm, I'm sinning against her, but I'm sinning against God first. All of our sin is against God. And when somebody comes to Jesus, they understand that and they say, I don't want to do that anymore. We're going to struggle with it, but our desire is to be different. It's to be different. Without repentance, there's no salvation. I don't care how many times you get in the baptistry. In the previous parable, Jesus spoke of the 99 who did not need repentance. That was directed to the religious leaders. But it also applies to all of us who thinks, you know what, I'm okay. I don't need this. God's going to take me anyway. The act of repentance includes knowing that you need to change, knowing that your life needs to go in a different direction. Jerry's going to be preaching on the prodigal son, and I hope I didn't beat on that, too, step on anything. He's giving me the thumbs up. I haven't yet. But there's going to be a lot of that coming into the story, this issue. There's joy in heaven. It happens get when what happens? When a sinner repents. 
Because once you've repented, the rest of it starts falling into place. When we repent, our lives can change. If we don't ever want to do that, nothing will change. Let us find joy in the search, in the search of trying to bring lost people to Christ. We have to remember that everyone is valuable to God, and he never gives up. We may always strive to be that lost coin that Jesus is, God's always looking for, but we can never forget that we are called by him to come to him, and that if you're that lost coin, God wants you to be found. You are not, you may think you're a penny and somebody else might be a, a you know, a hundred pound bar of gold. In God's eyes, you're that hundred pound bar of gold. You are valuable. We need to make sure that when we are reaching people, that we're doing it because we love God and we know God loves them. We need to pour our lives and our resources into that quest. Take time to reach the lost. Take time to pray for them. And then when you do, let's have a celebration. This morning, our praise team is going to come and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to make Jesus the Lord of your life, to allow him to bring salvation into your life. And our prayer is that you'll do that this morning. If you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that, to, conf- to, to put your faith in him, to confess him as your Lord, to repent to repent for the past life, no matter how good or how bad it was. And meet him in the baptismal waters. You're going to rise and walk in a newness of life. Your sins will be washed away. You'll be a new creation. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. And if you're struggling and need some prayer, maybe something's just really getting you down. If you want to come forward, I'd be glad to pray with you. But during this song, if you have, an, if you have a decision to make, we invite you to come forward this morning as we stand and sing.
Good morning. It is wonderful. Did you just look when you came out of the house and see that blue sky, rich, just gracious, I felt. Knowing I was coming here from you, it got even stronger. Think first of all, were you feared? I see some come here with elements here, here, and here. Crosses. Think about being in Saudi Arabia. Our friends, you'd be arrested immediately. Isn't it wonderful, I'm going to wave the flag a little bit, that the red, white, and blue means freedom of religion, meaning I can go to church without worrying about the Gestapo in the bad days, some other people today, I don't want to be too political. So, I'm going to talk to you in the center today about something we talk about every Sunday in the communion service. What's that? Self-examination. In 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, it tells you exactly about self-examination. Let me read. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test ourselves. Do, not, do you not realize that Christ is in you? Me too. Unless you fail the test and trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. I'm going to stop there. But it goes on to talk about righteousness. There's a danger in righteousness. I know I'm right, but somebody else is wrong. Too strong a conviction. How do we know that we are right and pass the test? When we communicate with the Holy Spirit, he will not speak in a wrong manner to you. So today, during your communion meditation, talk to the Holy Spirit. Open. Know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. It is he that has saved you, not yourself, not your righteousness. When today you walk, it is easy. But remember, every day in every communication with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, especially the Holy Spirit, you must allow God's righteousness and the purchase of your soul by Jesus Christ to lead you to true righteousness. Let us pray. Dearest Father, as we come before you this bright and shining day, we thank you first of all for the heavenly choice that you've intended for us by giving up your life to preserve our soul. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we also ask that each and every one of us take the goodness of God and project it. This we pray in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.
on the inside of your bulletin, we have announcements for this week. Um, Jerry has all of his groups going this evening. Uh, Roger's not back yet, so their group's not meeting. The LOL group meets Tuesday at Jules's house. We have Stitches of Love. We have all of our Bible studies. Um, we have The Art of Marriage is beginning at 7 p.m. on Friday. If you've signed up, you still can sign up today or tomorrow, and then we'll shut down registrations for that. The food pantry is looking for some non-perishable items and plastic grocery bags, so we ask you to take note of that. Operation Christmas Child is still taking donation, uh, accepting donations for some items, for socks and things as such. Narrow Path, we're going to be meeting on May 13th. We'll meet at the church at 8, leave at 8.30. We're going to the back of the Wachukas. We're getting ready to scout a, a location there. Um, it won't be as easy as the last one. Uh, CareNet Ministries is having their Walk for Life coming up. And uh, I think that's all the announcements we have for today. Um, yes? Oh, okay. Roger's group. Okay, so Roger's group will meet this evening, minus Roger, I guess. I know he's coming back sometime. All right. Uh, on the inside of your bullet, or on the back of your bulletin, we have prayer concerns. I went to see Ken Martin yesterday. He is in the, um, he is in, I think it's called Haven now. It's changed names so many times. But anyway, if you want to, want to go see Ken, he'd be glad to see, have you come by and visit. Uh, he's doing well, but he's still got a long way to go. We have a lot of other special concerns we've been praying about. We've got a lot of people with health concerns. We have troops who are deployed. We have shut-ins. Keep Kate Frank in your prayers, one of our shut-ins right now. She is not doing well. I talked to Bobby on Friday, so keep her in your prayers. We're praying for the hospitality house and also for CareNet that uh, their Walk for Life goes well. At this time, let's stand together, and I will have our, um, I'll give you a moment to lift your prayers up to the Lord, and we'll have a closing prayer, and our praise team will lead us out this morning. <coughs> Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to, to lift our hearts to you in prayer together. And I pray, Lord, as we leave this place, we leave the, today with a burning passion to reach those who don't know you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
Thank you for joining us for church this morning. Have a wonderful week in the Lord, everybody. Thank you.